Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verses that we're familiar with, but verses and words that I would like you to know well, especially as we come to the Lord's table tonight. Romans chapter 5, precious words indeed, and few understand them, and the power and force of how they present the gospel in these words. The first time I understood this passage, wow, the doctrine of imputation, that'll bring you to your knees in humble submission to the great God of heaven, and how he is able to apply the offense of one man to the whole race, and to apply the obedience of one man to all of God's elect. What a glorious statement of the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. Looking at Romans chapter 5, when we come to Romans 12, and I'm going to go fast. If you want more, there is more. Because we want to understand every phrase and word in this passage, but I don't want to linger tonight. But we begin with the word wherefore in Romans 5.12, and I'm going to read from that point to the end of the chapter. This is the word of the Lord. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. The Lord will bless the reading of his word. Because it's not the word of men, it's the word of God. And I beg you and exhort all of you to receive it as such. 
We begin with the word wherefore in verse 12. And when you've got a word wherefore, which is similar to therefore, it's drawing an inference and some argumentation to prove what has just gone before it. And so I want to read verses 6 through 11 to you as it describes all that Jesus Christ had to do for us and our condition when he did it for us. Because that's going to lead you into verse 12. Look at what it says in 6 through 11. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. The Lord Jesus Christ has atoned for us by making us at one with God again. There was a great separation between us and God, so much so that we were the enemies of God. But the Lord Jesus Christ has made us at one again, which is atonement. And so these verses describe us as being without strength, as being ungodly, as being sinners, as being enemies, and as being separated from God. But the Lord Jesus Christ undid all that. And so we come to verse 12, where he's going to go all the way back, the apostle is, and show us where it first began in our separation from God. Remember, in the book of Romans, the apostle Paul is doing battle, not with Arminians, but with Jewish legalizers. Jewish legalists who put their confidence in the law of Moses, that by keeping the law of Moses they could justify themselves. And you're going to see in verses 12 through 21, one of the wisest, most prudent shortcuts to defeating that argument there is at all. Because it wouldn't matter, the apostle is reasoning, if you were able to keep the law of Moses, because you've got a problem long before Moses. Adam. Let's not go back to Moses, the apostle is saying. Let's not go back to Abraham. Let's go back to Adam. You think you have comfort in the law of Moses? You're already condemned 2,500 years before we get to Moses by what Adam did. Romans 5.12 Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. Very quickly, let's go. One man is Adam. Adam is in the Garden of Eden, and that's where sin entered into the world. When the devil himself came and tested, tempted our mother, and, uh, and she tempted our father, and our father Adam gave in to her and chose to rebel against God, and so sin entered into the world, and death by sin. The Lord God had told Adam, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In the day that Adam ate thereof, he surely died. He died in his spirit and heart toward God. Now there was enmity. They were not at one. They were separated and enemies to each other. Death passed upon all men. 
sin came into the world by Adam and death by sin. First of all, there was the death of Adam's spirit. 930 years later, there was the death of his body. And there is to be yet a formal execution of eternal death against him if he is not one of God's elect and all those that are in him. There are three deaths we do not want to forget. The death to our soul and heart toward God so that we do not love the things of God. Death to our physical body and eternal torment that we're yet waiting to be sentenced and and have executed upon us in the day of judgment. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. Now, we have the word of God. And it tells us about life and the human condition. It tells us why we die. Death passed upon all men. You will die if Jesus Christ does not return first. All men have died before you. Other than a couple of exceptions that don't change the rule at all. Death passed upon all men. By what means? The sin of Adam. The sin of Adam. Don't get outside that thought because that is the apostle's thought from verse 12 all the way through the end of 19. By Adam's sin, death passed upon all men. When we look at that little word so in your, in Romans 5.12 and you look at it and so death passed upon all men, when you go back to the beginning of the verse where it said wherefore as by one man, you have an as so construction which means in the manner specified, in that exact manner, as sin entered into the world by one man and death by sin, and so in that specified manner that was just expressed to you, death passed upon all men. Romans 5.12 is telling us that we have to die because of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. Death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And that's Adam's sin, and you are guilty for Adam's sin. You ate the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because the representative God gave us ate the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't think for a minute that that isn't fair. Your whole life is built and based on pain and suffering because of others who were your representatives or who had authority over you in your life. If your parents are foolish, you suffer. If your grandfather was foolish, you suffer. If the leader of a nation is foolish, you suffer. If your boss, the, the owner of your company is foolish, you can suffer. Because he makes decisions that affect you. Why does everyone want to think that it's unfair? You are, we live our whole lives being influenced by the choices of others. The Philistines brought forth Goliath. And faced their champion against Israel and said, If you can defeat our champion, we'll all be your servants. That was the doctrine of representation. (laughs) Little did they know that there was a shepherd boy that God loved. But they raised their champion, and their champion made a deal. And they were all willing to take that risk because of the superiority of their champion. I want to tell you something about Adam in the Garden of Eden. Don't you ever call God not fair. Right. He gave you Adam. You wouldn't have waited until you had Eve to sin. You would have done it on your own. That man did not have any sin. He had one commandment. He walked with God in the cool of the evening. 
He was in a perfect world. He had a perfect wife. He had everything going for him. He was incredibly intelligent. He could name all the beasts of the forest and field that God created, and he was the one that sinned. And God made a deal by giving us the greatest representative we could have had, humanly speaking. Gave him just one little commandment. He said, of all the trees of the garden, thou mayest freely eat. Now, I consider that a generous, benevolent creator God. But of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, thou shalt not eat of it. And Adam sinned. Don't, as we start this, do not think that God is not fair. It happens in your life all the time. You are a living reflection of the choices of your grandparents and your great-grandparents. And the rulers of our country and the owners of companies where our grandparents worked. All those factors come in and influence our lives. And Adam influences our life. But that decision was horrible that he made. And God arranged it all for the glory and manifestation of his own wrath and power and his mercy on the vessels of mercy. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so, in the way I've just explained by one man's sin, Adam's, death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And that all have sinned, in this verse, is all have sinned in Adam. We, go, we do go ahead and sin ourselves, but that is not the apostle's argument in this context, and context is always my driver. Of course we all sin. He's going to get to that in verses 20 and 21. He'll bring the law in to show us that we're all sinners. But before that, the next couple of verses are going to prove that I'm explaining it to you correctly. We are held responsible for Adam's sin, and justly so. He was better than any of us in this room, or all of us combined together. Verse 13. Now I want you to notice what's the first piece of punctuation in verse 13. Parentheses. How far does that parenthetical statement go? End of 17. So verses 13 through 17 are parenthetical. That means it's kind of sidelight information where the apostle explains some details. You would ordinarily read it 12, 18. Let me do that just to show you exactly what he's saying. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. I want you to know that it's Adam's sin, not yours, in this context. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Therefore, as by the offense of one, Judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. 18 has the therefore. And the therefore of verse 18 is drawing from verse 12. The condemnation that we are under in verse 18 is because of Adam's one sin. The doctrine of representation. God chose a representative for us in the Garden of Eden. Some call it the doctrine of federal headship. Adam was the head of the human race. He made a decision as our father. And it's cost us enormously. It did not surprise our creator God. He did it for his own honor and glory. And he's done everything well so that there is no guilt on his hands at all. Is there any unrighteousness with God? God forbid. God forbid. And I'll tell you something. This is humbling. God doesn't care how well you live. 
You're already condemned by a representative he put in the Garden of Eden. This ought to bring you to your knees to cry out for mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are condemned. It's all over before you were even born. This is the word of the Lord. And that puts God so high, he didn't even ask you if you wanted to be born in to a representative system where Adam had already sinned for you. Did he ask you? He didn't ask me. I would have opted out of the human experience just for the probability of going to hell. I would have opted out of that. Wouldn't you have? I didn't need to exist, but he didn't even ask me. Because he's God. He's the potter, and I'm the mud in the bowl. Verse 13. Let's go look at that. those parentheses. I hope you understand 12. It's Adam's sin. It's Adam's. So death passed upon all men. We all have to die because of Adam's sin. For that all have sinned, we've all sinned in Adam, and we're held guilty for Adam's sin. As 18 goes on to explain, it was by the offense of one that judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Not by the offenses of many, the offense singular of one. Verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Imputed means charged. The law is the law of Moses, 2,500 years after creation. For until the law of Moses, sin was in the world, because the effects of sin could be easily seen, men were dying. How do I know that's what it means? Because of the next verse. Because of the next verse, but we've got to get to that in order. Verse 13 is reasoning with the Jews. For until the law of Moses, sin was in the world because men were dying. But look at what Paul said, sin is not imputed when there is no law. See, the Jews put all their stock in the law of Moses. But God is saying there was a law long before the law of Moses. And that law was broken, and it condemned all men to death. What was that law? Thou shalt not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, had God expressed some other laws from creation to Moses? You know, did God God say, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed? God had expressed some laws like that. But that is not being considered here. I agree with that. That can be seen elsewhere. That God judged men on account of what he had told them, taught them, and required of them between Adam and Moses. But this is still arguing the one offense of one man upon the entire human race, as the next verse will prove to us. Because he's not talking about commandments being given to each man, and each man breaking them. He's talking about each of us being responsible for Adam breaking that commandment given to him. For until the law, sin was in the world. There was sin because every man was dying. The flood drowned the entire population of planet Earth except eight. For until the law of Moses, for 2,500 years, there was sin. Because of the effect of sin was seen, men were dying. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. If God does not give a law to someone, in some way, he cannot charge you with death and punish you with death unless he is given a law to you that has as its punishment death. When did God give a law that said, everyone that breaks this law dies? When he gave it to Adam. 
in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And so upon us have come the, the three same deaths as soon as we're related to Adam. The minute we're conceived, we are dead in nature. Our nature does not love God, it hates God. We go estranged, we are estranged from the womb, speaking lies as soon as we are born. David said, in sin and iniquity did my mother conceive me. We have a wicked nature from the moment of conception. And then sometime during our lives, we're going to die physically. God will take the life out of our bodies because of Adam's sin. And there's yet a day when we will stand before the tribunal of God Almighty, and he will judge us and sentence us with eternal torment, which is the second death. For until the law, sin was in the world. Before the law of Moses, there was some law that was causing everyone to die, and that was the law given to Moses. Given to Adam. It was the law given to Adam. But sin is not imputed when there is no law, but there was a law. It was the law given to Adam, and that law was applied to everyone that came out of Adam. Verse 14. Nevertheless, nevertheless, even though sin is not charged to men when there is no law, nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam to Moses. I was go, I was cheating by explaining verse 13 in the light of verse 14, but it's the nature of studying the context and trying to preach it in order. Right. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Adam's transgression was this simple. God gave him a positive commandment. I don't mean that it was something to do, it was something not to do, but it was a stated, clear commandment to Adam. Thou shalt not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil with a certain punishment attached to it, death. There were men that lived between Adam and Moses that never had such a law given to them that that was revealed from God that you are to do this, and if you do it, you shall die. Because that's what the even is for. Therefore, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, even over those that had not had a commandment given strictly to them with the punishment of death attached to it, even over those, they died. And you know, it's right in here where we look closely and we think and we reason before the Lord and His Holy Scriptures, and we know that there are infants and idiots in that expression as well. Infants and idiots that have no communicated law to them in the same way that it was communicated to Adam who was full grown in maturity and understood exactly what God wanted from him. Infants, idiots, and those that hadn't been given commandments throughout the world, like Adam had been given, death reigned over them. It wasn't that there was just the possibility of death. Death was the king of terrors as it's described in Job 18.14. Death dominated men. Death took every one of them. There was not one that escaped. No, not one. You say, what about Enoch? Why Don't get off track. Of course there was Enoch. That doesn't change the rule at all. Nevertheless, sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that did not get a commandment like Adam was given. So what's the explanation? What we've been seeing so far, it's by the condemnation of one. By his one sin, we were condemned. 
who is the figure of him that was to come. Adam is still a figure, who is the figure of him that was to come. Now, he's already come, so Paul couldn't say he is to come, because the Lord Jesus Christ has already come. So the last part of verse 14 is saying, and it's, it's the first introduction, that in just the same way Adam condemned us, Jesus Christ saved us. The first little hint of it in this passage is verse 14, the last clause, who is the figure of him that was to come. Adam gives us a picture. God looked at Adam and said, Adam, I have put that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden. Thou mayest freely eat of every tree of the garden. But if you eat of that tree, you will die in the day that thou eatest thereof, and all that are in you are going to die that come from you. And Adam went ahead and ate the fruit of that tree. And in that is a picture to us that God would make a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ, that if he would come and do the will of his Father and lay down his life on the cross, he would give his perfect righteousness and the penalty of that death to all of the elect that were in him, and they would be saved by the righteousness of one. And there was the picture that the apostle is dealing out to us very slowly in the last part of verse 14. Who is the figure of him that was to come? Now, if Adam was a figure of Jesus Christ, if Adam was a picture of Jesus Christ, then that means there's some similarities. Do we agree on that? Mm-hmm. If Adam's the, the figure of Jesus Christ, if, if Adam is giving us a, a shadow, a picture of what Jesus Christ is going to do, then they must have some similarities. But before you get too caught up in the similarities, the apostle wants to show their dissimilarities. In verses 15, 16, and 17, we have three different statements made about how Adam and Jesus Christ have some differences. And all those differences are is to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ because he's so much better than Adam. Let's look at them. Verse 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. But not. We have some differences between Adam and Christ. We have some differences between the offense and the free gift of salvation. And the apostle wants to point them out. Verse 15. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. I want you to love the words much more. Do you know how many times you have to read them in Romans 5? Many times. Much more. Jesus Christ in salvation is much more certain, much more abounding than our death by Adam. And that's the argument of verse 1. I mean, verse 15. The first dissimilarity, the first difference between Adam and Christ is the value of the persons. One man, Adam. Just a man. The second Adam is the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory. And if this one man could drag his whole race down to condemnation in hell, how much more shall this one man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, save his elect family? How much more would it abound in the quality of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ over Adam? There is a difference. If the offense of one, if the offense of Adam caused many to be dead, 
much more. The grace of God is greater than that. If God in his strict judgment applied Adam's sin to the whole human race, how much more will God apply his abundant grace? God loves grace. He's a gracious God. He created Adam for the manifestation of his grace, along with his wrath and power. And so the, it's the quality in verse 15, because verse 16 is going to be the quantity. But it's the quality of the Lord Jesus Christ versus Adam. It's the quality of grace versus strict legalistic justice dealing with Adam's sin. The one is much greater than the other. And the apostle is just trying to point out, we know that the first half is true because we're all dying. We all have to die. So we know that Romans 5.12 is true. But the apostle is saying, the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ was set up as a representative for his people makes it much more sure that they will be saved with an everlasting salvation because of what he did for them because God his grace is much more abundant than his strict justice. You say, can you prove that? Verse 20, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Great. The Bible tells us mercy rejoices against judgment. James 2.13. Our God is so merciful and so gracious, it is abundant. If he applies strict justice to a situation, how much more is he going to apply his great grace in saving us? We have a father. Our father went to bed with our mother. And we resulted from their union. Our father sent us to hell. But I want to tell you tonight as we come to this table, it is to remember that God sent another man into this world who obeyed perfectly for us and who died as a perfect substitute for us to deliver us from our Father. The world cannot tell you where death comes from. I've just told you where death comes from. And they're not going to take it away. We're not going to evolve out of it. Because it's the sentence of judgment upon Adam's sin in Eden. And verse 15 is telling us the difference in quality between the Lord Jesus Christ and Adam, between the grace of God and his justice. Come to verse 16. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Paul's comparison here is based on quantity. Adam sinned just once. And just one sin was able to take his whole race and family into condemnation in hell. But the Lord Jesus Christ has come and paid for many offenses. How much more weight do you think there is in someone who paid for many offenses versus Adam who just sinned with one offense? So the apostle is arguing, you know that Adam is true because we're all going to die. I want to tell you how much more the Lord Jesus Christ is true because he paid for many offenses, which is weightier in its quantitative consideration than the one offense of Adam. That's why it says in verse 16, for the judgment was by one, and it's by one offense. You say, it doesn't say offense. I know it doesn't say offense, because that is an ellipsis. How do I know it's an ellipsis and it should say one offense? 
because I continue reading and it says, but the free gift is of many, many what? Many offenses. The comparison is one offense versus many offenses. Verse 15 was one man versus one man. Adam versus Christ. Verse 16 is one offense versus many offenses. It's the quantity of the thing. Since Jesus Christ paid for many offenses, how much more certain is our salvation than our death? It's wonderful. This passage is not preached, brethren, the way that it's given to us in the Word of God. This will bring you down to your knees. This is, a, this is covenant salvation at its finest in the Word of God. God making a covenant with Adam, causing us all to be condemned to hell. God making a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ for His elect, and all of them being certainly saved by that grace that was in that covenant. Verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Again, there's an emphasis on Jesus Christ versus Adam, but there is another emphasis as well. It's the difference between death and life. Our God is a God of the living. Our God is the God of life. And the difference is the result. If by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. It's grace versus sin. It's righteousness versus disobedience. And it's life versus death. This over here on my right hand is so much weightier than what's on my left. And so for three verses, the apostle has pointed out some differences, that it's not an exact match. But in looking at the differences, they exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation by grace, don't they? Because the quality of the man is superior, the quantity of the fences paid for is superior, and grace and life are superior to death and justice, as verse 17 teaches us. Now it says in this verse, Verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Some would look at that word receive, that verb there, receive, and say that must be those that will accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now there's a number of problems with that. First of all, any descendant of Adam would never receive Jesus Christ because he's foolishness to them, as 1 Corinthians teaches us over and over again. It can't be that. The second thing we can look at is, did they need to receive Adam as their personal sin representative in order to be condemned by him? No, that isn't the point. The reception here is passive. You can receive something in two ways. You know, if you are if you are chastened and you receive 40 stripes, does that mean you accepted and took them actively or were you just given them? Amen. This is how the words received is used in the Bible. Job said to his wife when she told him to curse God and die, he said, shall we not receive good at his hand and shall we not receive evil as well? Does that mean they accepted and took it and chose it for themselves? Or does that mean God gave it to them? That's received in a passive sense. 
I don't want to belabor that point, but it should be obvious to us who understand the Word of God that if the Lord Jesus Christ had come and only made it possible to be delivered from the first Adam, none of us would have ever accepted him because we preferred the first Adam. We had within our heart rebellion and hatred and animosity and enmity toward God, and we would never have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Never. We cannot hear him without God changing our nature first. We cannot understand what he says. It's all foolishness to us. Even when the Holy Spirit is blessing a man to preach the gospel, it's foolishness to a natural man. So the reception here is passive, meaning God gives it. Much more they which are given abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Now we're out of the parentheses. What have we learned in the parentheses? Two main lessons. Number one, even before there was a law of Moses, men were dying. And men were dying before the law of Moses because there had been another law given 2,500 years earlier. And that law was, thou shalt not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The second lesson we've been given is that there are some differences between Adam and Christ. And by thinking about them, it lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ because he's so superior right. to Adam. Amen. Now we come to verse 18 where he's drawing his conclusions. Verse 18. Therefore... Because of what I have just explained to you, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. One man sinned, all men came under condemnation because of one man's sin. That's the doctrine of representation. We had a representative, Adam, in the Garden of Eden. He sinned. We are all made sinners that are connected to Adam. Now, how did you get connected to Adam? As soon as you were conceived. You didn't ask your parents to come together. You did not ask God for their coming together to result in your conception. You were never consulted about the matter in the least degree. But the moment you were concepted, you were brought into union with Adam. Because you were a descendant of his and you came from him. You were one of his posterity. And he had made a choice for his entire family. And that was that he wasn't going to obey God. He was going to follow the woman and eat the fruit off that tree. Therefore, as by the offense of one, the sin of one man, Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. And that is eternal hell. We are condemned before a holy God. Because our representative ate the fruit off that tree in the Garden of Eden. Therefore, as, by the offense of one. We come down to the middle of the verse, even so. Now, I already told you that as and so mean in this manner, in the specified manner that's just been given. When you have an as-so construction, it's very simple. As I explain here, that is what is happening here. When you have, as by one man's offense, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men under justification of life. It occurred in the same way. But in this construction, we have another adverb stuck in there, and it's the adverb even, which means precisely this way. As, even so, means in the way that's been specified, it is exactly and precisely that way by the doctrine of imputation. 
And the doctrine of imputation is God charges men for one that he has chosen to stand as their covenant head. And Adam stood as our covenant head. He sinned and it was charged to all of us. The Lord Jesus Christ stands as the covenant head for his people. He obeyed and it's charged to all of them. And what's charged to their account? Righteousness. Obedience is charged to their account. Romans 5.18 Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. It is in the very same way. In the very way that God looked at Adam and judged us all for it, He looks at the Lord Jesus Christ and applies that work to all of his elect. Now we have the word all in verse 18, and it's in there twice. We have the word many in verse 19, and it's in there twice. Because it doesn't matter whether you use all or many. It's the group versus the one representative. That's the point being made. It's not that Jesus Christ won eternal life by his obedience for the same all that were in Adam. Because it's the all in Adam that die, and it's the all in Jesus Christ that live. And is that Bible, or is that just me making something up that sounds good? Is that Bible? How about 1 Corinthians 15.22? For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's the all. All that are in Adam... They all die. All that are in Christ, they all live. Who are the all in Jesus Christ? His elect. How did they get to be his elect? According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Before he created Adam. Oh, bless and praise his holy name. Before he created Adam. Before he let Satan come in and tempt our first mother. I was written in the book of life. I was secure and saved with an everlasting salvation already in the purpose of God because I was already in Jesus Christ and so are you if you believe on Him and are going to live for Him. A glorious doctrine of salvation. The elect have never been subject to being lost. They've always been saved. We were chosen before the foundation of the world, let alone when the beautiful garden was put on top of the foundation and Adam was brought into it, we were already saved. That's why the Bible speaks of our names being written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. That's why we're told about the purpose of God's grace was given to us in Christ before the world began. That's where it all fits together. And that's the all. All that are in Adam, die. You say to me, what about the Lord Jesus Christ? Did the Lord Jesus Christ have a sin nature? No. Was he in union with Adam? No. Because he didn't have a father. His father was God. He didn't have an earthly father. His father was God. You say, but he died. Oh. You're, you're talking about the wisdom and the prudence of God's plan of salvation? A man that didn't have to die did die? Is that what you're asking me about? Yes, he did. Though he became weak, though he was weak, for the death of a crucifixion, he liveth by the power of God. Amen. The one that did not have to die chose to die to undo the consequences of our Father who loved us so much. Amen. And I mean that as I speak as a fool. Our Father in the Garden of Eden did not love us. 
And no man has ever loved you like the God in heaven. Your Father has loved you and sent his Son to be the propitiation for your sins. As even so. Did you hear those words in 1 Corinthians 15, 22 as I read it to you? For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. The very same way, by representation, by imputation. This is the doctrine of the word of God. Do you know how many ases and buys and ases and sows and ases and even sows we have in Romans 5, 12 through 21? It will amaze you because God wants you to know this is just how it works. We know verse 19 well. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That is why when I was back there at verse 12, the last part of verse 12, where it says, for that all have sinned, and I said, that sin is Adam's sin. Here's why. Because of what 19 tells me. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. See, it's one man's disobedience that made us a sinner. Adam made me a sinner. In the, in the sight of God, Adam made me a sinner by his one act of disobedience. And here we have again in Romans 19, so, and as so construction, so, by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. The Lord Jesus Christ obeyed for us. What did he obey? He obeyed the will of his Father. He kept every commandment, including being baptized to fulfill all righteousness, including submitting himself to his parents to obey the commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. He was still taking care of her when he was hanging on the cross, fulfilling that commandment to take care of his mother and to requite her for what he had done for him when he was a young child. He kept every commandment of God and he kept it perfectly, and then he obeyed by laying down his life. He who did not have to die chose to die for you and me. By one man's obedience shall many be made righteous. And when he died, he paid for all my sins and your sins. And his righteousness of a perfect life was applied to our accounts. We who were condemned by the sin and offense of our first father have been delivered by the obedience and righteousness of the second Adam. The two Adams are what you can remember Romans 5, 12 through 21 as. The two Adams. The first Adam condemned us to sin, death, and hell. The second Adam has delivered us to grace, righteousness, and eternal heaven. Verse 20, moreover, in addition to that information, you Jews who want to know about the law, moreover, the law entered. 2,500 years after Adam, God gave a law to Moses. Yes, I'll grant you Jews that, that God gave a law. The law entered that the offense might abound, that the overall effect of Adam's offense might be fully seen by every one of his descendants unable to keep any commandment that God gave. And so the law of Moses was given not to save. The law of Moses was given to show how offensive we all were to God and what great sinners we were. Galatians tells us if there had been a law given that could have given life, righteousness should have been by the law. But righteousness isn't by the law. It's by one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not by you adding to his work either. Brethren, do you understand the force of the passage? What if a person never hears about Adam? Do they still die? What if they reject 
the creation story in Genesis 1 through 3, and I refuse to believe that there is an Adam, do they still die? Do they, what if they say that isn't fair and I will not accept that arrangement for me? Do they still die? Amen. You know, we have the only plan of salvation that can get infants and idiots and others into heaven consistently with the same way God gets all of us into heaven. Right. We only have a plan of salvation that is gracious from beginning to end because it's all found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone else has to start creating things. Like the age of accountability. We don't have to come up with the age of accountability. We've got the age of grace upon us. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to comfort women by telling them that their child died before the age of accountability. Therefore, he's going to heaven. There's not a scrap of that in the Bible. to To convince anyone of that. There's no doctrine taught like that. Our comfort is in the Lord, in the God Almighty, and His great grace and His mercy, especially toward His elect and their families. And so we put our trust in the one mediator, the second Adam, the one man, Christ Jesus, who died for us. Your believing on the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't add to your salvation. It doesn't include you in the covenant of God. It doesn't add a thing to it, except give you the assurance that you were part of that number. That's all it does. Do you know what gives you assurance that you're part of the first group and you had a first Adam as your representative? Look in the mirror tomorrow morning. And pretty soon you'll be in a casket. It's the evidence. Your death. You're dying daily. I'm dying daily. How do I know that I'm one of God's elect and Jesus Christ obeyed for me? By living the life that Jesus Christ gave me. By believing on the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, laying hold of my salvation in Him, and obeying all of His commandments. I show the life that He's put in me, because He's delivered me from all those deaths. He raised me from the dead spirit that I had from Adam by regenerating me and giving me a new heart and a new spirit toward Him. And He's going to raise this body from the dead, and He's going to accept me into heaven one day soon when the book of life is opened. And that book of life is owned by the second Adam. Because it's called the book of life of the lamb slain. He owns it. And it's dripping with blood. And I'm as safe as can be. And I was written there before Adam ever took his first look at Eve. Praise his glorious name. And we come to the table tonight to remember a death. To remember grave clothes. To remember the consequence of what our first perfect champion did for us. The champion of the human race. Adam. We will come tonight and see death at this table. And we will remember it till he comes. Because he willingly died for us to be a greater champion much more. Much more than Adam by saving us with an everlasting salvation. So So the Lord gave the law of Moses that the offense might abound. That we might realize just how hopeless we are. But where sin abounded by the law showing just what great sinners we are. Grace did much more abound in the Lord Jesus Christ who put away all those offenses. Now Jesus Christ didn't have to die just for Adam's sin. He had to die for millions and millions of more sins because the law just showed us how evil and sinful we were by multiplying our transgressions against God. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The Lord Jesus Christ, by paying for many offenses, more than made up, 
for the one offense of Adam and for all the offenses that you have committed. Verse 21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Death has reigned, brethren. Death is king. You know, men have jokes about death. You cannot put, no man can retain the spirit. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us there is no discharge in that war. You're going down. You know, men in war in this world look for that day of discharge where they can be sent back home alive instead of in a box. But there is no discharge in this war. We are all going to die because of our relationship to Adam. Sin has brought death and death has reigned. Death is king. Death has dominion and power over us. But the Lord Jesus Christ has come and righteousness, his obedience in doing the perfect will of God, has got, brought us eternal life. And so we can say, O grave, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? We thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for his victory over sin by coming and obeying for us. And so it says here that grace might reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Whose righteousness? The Lord Jesus Christ, whose righteousness is applied to us because he perfectly obeyed every commandment that he faced. Every situation and temptation, he was tempted like as we are, but yet without sin. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. And may you all be established in the two Adams. This is the doctrine of salvation according to the word of God. It is by imputation. You do not add to it. You do not involve yourself in God's covenants by choosing or rejecting. The first Adam is applied to you by the fact that you were conceived at parents that came from Adam. And salvation is given to you by being chosen by God before the world began. And placed in the Lord Jesus Christ for safekeeping forevermore. Praise his glorious name. Father in heaven, we thank thee and we praise thee for thy great gift of salvation through the obedience of one man for us. And our salvation rests not even in a tiniest bit on our obedience, but on his alone. And with that thought, we submit ourselves wholly to thee in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.